This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Barry Howlett and Sean Kilkenny are two individuals that know the hunting industry in Australia. Barry works for the Sports Shooters Association of Australia, SSAA. And Sean Kilkenny is the Interim Executive Director of the Australian Theatre Association. I wanted to have them both on because there was this controversial piece of quote-unquote amendment, and I say quote-unquote purposefully, that just came out in the Meat Industry Act in the state of Victoria in Australia. What got sensationalized was this idea that game meat could not be shared by hunters any longer. As you can imagine, that started a massive controversy and a massive amount of misinformation that got funneled around social media. So I wanted to have Barry and Sean on to tackle that issue head on and then expand the topic into this idea of social license and this idea of changing perceptions around who we are as hunters and also looking to the horizon to what is coming down the pipeline in the state of Victoria. All right, so typically I do a terrible job of introducing people when they come on the podcast. But I'm going to introduce you guys right away because if I threw out the question that I'm going to throw out, we'll never get around to introducing you guys. 
So let me start with uh, Sean Kilkenny. Sean Kilkenny is with the Australian Deer Association. Welcome to the, to the Blood Origins podcast. Uh, Sean, do you want to just give a brief introduction of who you are? Because this is reaching a global audience that may not know anything about the Australian Deer Association. <laughs> All right, to try and keep that uh, succinct. Um, my name's Sean. I'm the interim executive officer for the Australian Deer Association. Um, the Australian Deer Association advocates on behalf of wild deer herds and their sound management, and we've been doing that for just over 50 years. Um, the Probably for some of your, your audiences won't know this, but we did, we've got close relationships with, you know, the QDMA slash National Deer Association, um, dear friends with Brian Murphy. Um, so that probably creates a bit of familiarity between the two. Um, Have you met Nick yet? Uh, no. No. Nick Pisanotti or something like that. Well, I'll make an introduction for you. He's a good friend of mine. No, I appreciate um, and that. And is the executive director of the new National Deer Association. Yeah, it'll be good on the, the back of this, the next wave of the pandemic, now that we can start to travel again, that we can start to expand these connections. Uh, so Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, the second guest that we have on, we have Barry Howlett, who used to be with Australian Deer Association, has now taken a new job with the SSAA. So for everyone's edification, and I'm saying SSAA because I don't want to mess up what it stands for, so I'm going to let you say what it stands for, Barry. Right, so I'm with the, the Sporting Shooters Association of Australia, and I'm with the Victorian branch. I've come on about a month ago um, as a communications manager is my title, so handling outbound communications and the political advocacy, along with other people in the office at the Victorian branch. So, I don't know, a lot of your listeners will probably know Australia, much like the USA, has um, a number of state legislatures, um, six states in, in Australia, and they all, the states largely control firearm law, hunting law, most of that's state control, very similar um, political system to what you've got in the USA, very similar justice system. Um, a former Conservative Prime Minister of Australia couple of years ago, described Victoria as the Massachusetts of Australia. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. That'll give you listeners a bit of an idea of the politics of Victoria. So it's funny that the politics in hunting, it almost seems to be the epicenter of politics in hunting that is the state of Victoria. You hardly ever hear, every so often, a little drip and drab out of Queensland, a little drip and drab out of Tasmania, but Queen, Victoria just seems to be like, is it the spear tip for where everyone else is coming in behind or is it just the epicenter period? Sean? Um, we are in a fortunate position where we do have such great public land access in Victoria. Um, and so because we have such, you know, 50,000, 55,000 licensed game holders, it's, you know, it means a lot to a lot of people in Victoria and, Australia's not that big of a country, so I suppose there is a cascade in effects where if something happens in Victoria, it can on flow into other mm -hmm. jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, we've been quite fortunate that a long time ago we had a lot of good people that did a lot of hard work that put us in the position that we have now. Um, and obviously to maintain that is where the advocacy work comes in because if you don't fight for it to keep it, you'll lose it. So I suppose that's why it's fairly highly charged when, you know, people's fear you know, of course, sure. you know, them. Oh, that's the fear everywhere, right? That's why Blood yeah. Origins pushes what we do is that we just, we're worried about losing. I'm worried about losing this thing that 
I've come to love so late in my life for my boys to be able to do it, right? Because I just didn't get it. And so I want my boys to have those opportunities anywhere in the world, really. Barry, is Victoria, would you argue that Victoria has the largest hunting population in Australia? You said 55,000, Sean. Is that is that the largest, Barry? It, it's certainly the largest game hunter population. It's the largest state. Um, there's public land access in a couple of other states, but it's far more restricted. Victoria has most of the east of the state, so millions of hectares of public land available for hunting, 200 state game reserves available for hunting, um, and fairly unrestricted. If you're talking about deer hunting, for most of the species of deer, that's 365-day-a-year access, no tags, no bag limits. Um, so for, from an access perspective, it's it's far more generous than other states. As other states have um, a lot of pig hunting, goat hunting on large private properties. Um, Victoria is geographically quite a small state, doesn't have very large private properties, but has that big public land access. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we have you both on because of a very controversial current events topic and that I will throw myself under the bus because this thing has spiraled out of control because of misinformation. And uh, Barry Howlett very uh, graciously called me out on Facebook for a post, a comment that I made in calling uh, your deer species nuisance and pests. And he gently reminded me that it was a game species. <laughs> they are <laughs> fighting words, Robbie. Cute. They're fighting words. <laughs> oh, they're absolutely fighting words. But... Um, it's the misinformation, and really, I, I, I you know, I, yes, I, I, I did put that in there and corrected myself once Barry had corrected me. Um, but misinformation is generally this topic that is pervasive around the world that sort of just spins in the social media world that we live in, spins up these things, and obviously politics are at play, and politicians like to take advantage of uh, virally trending uh, newsworthy pieces of misinformation. And so the piece of misinformation that we're talking about is that there was supposedly an amendment to the Meat Industry Act in the state of Victoria that stated that game meat was now no longer to be disposed of by individual hunters to their friends and their family and whatnot, but rather had to go through a meat processing facility that had been approved. And there were several A, B, C, D, if I remember correctly, Barry. Um, let me just ask the sort of blunt question, Barry. Is it truly misinformation or is this like something that, holy smokes, I can't believe this is happening? Um, mostly the latter. Um, like most of these things, pretty all of these things, you'll always find a kernel of truth underpinning them. And that's, that's what allows people to believe these things and run away with them is that there is a kernel of truth underpinning them. So if you read... The so let's back up for a second. So there's a kernel of truth. So let's back up to like, what is this Meat Industry Act? When did it get put in place? And what was this change that just happened that caused this ruckus? So, so the Meat Industry Act was put in place in 1993, a quarter of a century ago. Um, and if you read a section, oh, you cut me in the whole thing, section 34 of that. If you read that now unamended, um, you could conclude that um, not just hunters, but anyone cannot share meat. Um, with people in their social circle. So um, farmers, primary producers couldn't, as my wife's auntie often does, they'll kill a lamb on their property. When they come to visit us, they'll bring us cuts of lamb, you know, part of the stuff that they grow on their farm. You could read that act now and conclude that that's illegal um, and also that sharing games is illegal. 
what the amendments have actually done is tighten up the definitions of game. And they've been doing that in order to actually enable a game meat processing industry. So enable commercial harvest of overabundant wild deer, which most of the hunting organisations think is a really good thing. Absolutely. Um, so rather than stuff getting shot to waste, it's stuff that's going to get used and you know, hopefully get in the human food chain and normalise this whole idea of wild shot game for you know, the community, this urban community can go to their local market, buy some wild shot venison, uh, and I would hope bring a, a closer understanding of, of what we do, what hunters do. Um, so there was an amendment along those grounds that it tightened up game, but based on that, someone's then read what is proposed to be the amended section and said, well, this means that you can't share anything outside your house. Um, the reality in a quarter of a century of this act being in place already is that nobody has ever even looked like being prosecuted for it. It's not the purpose of the act, it's the Meat Industry Act, um, which gives you a bit of a clue what it's aimed at. It's aimed at the commercial harvest. And people can read read a clause, and I've seen it on social media, and it's, it's quite valid. People will read a clause in legislation and say, see, it says that, therefore it means that. There's a real complexity to the law Going back, Australia's similar common law system to the United States um, in, in the legal system. So it's not just the written law that matters, it's how that's applied in its context and how it would be mm -hmm. in its in its full context, not just in a narrow passage of words on, on paper. Yeah, just think about how you could enforce something like that, right? How do you enforce sharing meat, right? Sean, it's... It's Obviously. like, and the fact, like Barry just said, it's been in place since 1993. Nobody's realized that it's been in place. And Barry, Barry, correct me here if I'm wrong, but what I heard you say is that the idea of sharing meat and giving it to your friends and family has, quote unquote, been technically illegal since 1993. But because of the context of the law and logistics, like we just talked about law enforcement, nobody's ever been prosecuted and nobody's really, uh, I, I want to be careful here, but. It, it, it. Share your meat, it, Sean it, it or Barry. Would, it would be really hard to imagine a successful prosecution if, if you take that law, take the purposes of the act, put it in context. It would be very, very difficult to imagine. I mean, you can build a scenario where somebody shoots a deer in February, which is summer here, hangs it outside for three weeks, um, the meat goes rancid, they chuck a bit of marinate out of a bottle on it and feed it to 93-year-old Ethel across the road and tell her that's her dinner, she gets food poisoning, um, that person would probably be prosecuted. Mm -hmm. Most people would say, well, yeah, so they should be. Um, mm -hmm. But the scenario where people like Sean and myself take a deer, send it into sausages and share it with our friends or our neighbours, that, that's not what this is aimed at getting. Mm -hmm. Sean, it's almost like... And I really like what Barry, the way that he set it up, it's almost like the UK system, right? You guys have a valuable resource, a game species, a valuable resource that is underutilized in Australia yeah, right now. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, that's part of the advocacy work that we're, you know, slowly working towards, you know, inputting that value or having people acknowledge that value of the game resource. Um, we've obviously got a, a slightly different terrain here where you know deer were released as wild deer they're not you know they weren't here 50,000 years ago um mm -hmm. so the context is slightly different um 
But if you do like refer to like the legislation, the changes that have happened in the past, uh, we can see like in Victoria, for example, there has been positive changes from the government that helps you process meat at unlicensed venues so that you can have it as processed meat. Um, so there is a, a solid intent from government to work towards creating that value and enabling hunters to use that meat more so. Um, it's obviously a long road. Um, Barry can highlight just how... <laughs> it was about eight years ago, I think, he might have started kicking off this conversation to get some mm -hmm. of these changes through. So these things don't happen overnight, but we do have artefacts that show that we are working in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's where it's disappointing, where you know, a bit of fake news gets taken off and suddenly you know, yeah. you're doing some clean-up jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's politics, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, we all know politics, and that's politics. Barry, the, um, I love the idea of that the, the emphasis, uh, emphasis, that's the beer talking, the impetus here of um, this change is so that you've got some, some meat facilities that could be approved, that could be licensed, that are you know, certified to process game meat in lieu of this potential, not just for consumption and putting it into the, into the value chain for humans, but also for donation perspective. Is there any opportunity, like do maybe Barry and Sean, you can answer after Barry, are there opportunities to donate meat, process meat, whether processed or not, to low-income communities, food shelters, food banks, soup kitchens? Uh, no, and that's that's been a large part of the impetus for, um, I speak for when I was back at ADA, but for pushing that change. Um, that's how it was originally put to the ADA executive by a member in um, Northern Victoria way back in the day was this Hunters for the Hungry sort of program. Mm -hmm. um, and why can't we get that? And that was a driving impetus for um, the organisations pushing for a bit of change in meat handling. We're not there yet. Um, but it's still on the agenda as as an end goal that there'd be a, a mechanism for hunters to take their field harvested venison to a facility um, without going through all the very onerous sort of food safety stuff that, that sold meat has to go through, but still deliver a safe product to the less fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, when, when that kicked off, I think New Zealand was used as an example as well, wasn't it, Barry? Like that was sort of seen as a bit of a precedent that we could work off and look to. Yeah, which is which is our neighbouring jurisdiction and very similar to Australia. And of course, you know, there's big success. Um, Sean mentioned our friend Brian Murphy earlier. He's on the been on the board of one of those meat sharing organisations mm -hmm. for you know, the last twenty years or so, and he was out pre-COVID. Um, actually talking to our lawmakers here in Australia about that program and about the success of it. Um, so certainly there's been a push to socialise that idea and, and push it just as much from a you know, hunter's wanting to do the right thing and not waste the resource. Um, also a great boon for social licence if we can get that sort of thing up. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, you know, we, Blood Origins, we funded a Hunters for the Hungry program in Wyoming. We raised like $23,000 for that program to accept meat and process the meat and pay for the processing and the transport of that meat to less fortunate individuals and organizations. Texas just passed a law that exotic meat, it's funny, Texas is a crazy place that they just, 
they, you weren't allowed to give with the exotic meat, but it was the exotic hunting capital of the world. And uh, they finally have changed that law and they've gotten that on the books. I, and uh, I'm a bit hilarious when I look at um, web pages for outfitters in Texas and they're selling hunts on kangaroos in Texas. And, you know, the world's gone. I will tell you this. If you ever come to the States, I will take you to Texas. And what I will show you will absolutely blow your mind. What's on people's places. It will blow your mind. I have yet to see an elephant in Texas, but don't put it past Texas that there isn't an elephant on the landscape somewhere. It's a big country. That's a big state. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Barry, you brought up a, a really important point, which is almost the segue. So the meat issue, I think we've addressed it. I wanted to have you both on to talk about the meat to say, hey, look, guys, fake news, misinformation. Here's where we're going. This is the reason. This is the path. Um and to your point, that path is actually to this idea of social license. And I have, I have sort of changed my tune a little bit around social license and social science in that I'm a, I'm a classic ecologist. I don't like social science. I, don't, I believe that the facts in the biology should, should speak louder than the social um, but social values and social license is certainly becoming one of the hotter topics in our space, in our wildlife space, in people's perceptions um, around wildlife, around hunting, are influencing that social license to whether or not we can hunt, how we can hunt, when we can hunt, where we can hunt. What are you guys seeing, Sean, maybe I'll point this to you from an ADA perspective. What are you guys seeing from the social license perspective? and, and is Victoria the epicenter again, or are you seeing sort of everyone rise up at the same time? Um, so probably I'll start on the Victorian thing per se. Um, at the moment, we've probably got the most to lose um, in that because we're so fortunate to have so much available to us. Um, so that does bring the social license right to the front of our thinking. And uh, we are taking it quite seriously, and as well as WSWA Victoria, um, we recently ran a workshop where, you know, we got in a subject matter expert to help talk us through what social license means and more importantly, what it means when you ignore it and the consequences of ignoring it. And when you stop and actually just have a look at what's happened in society, you know, there's examples everywhere of where people have ignored the social license threat and then suddenly um, your politicians read the room and they're like, oh, this isn't such a popular uh, accepted activity. Mm -hmm. My constituents don't mm -hmm. like it. Let's do something about it. And once you get to that point, you know, the cat's out of the bag. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're trying our best to make changes so that we can adapt our thinking and be ahead of the curve and, make, you know, influence that now instead of trying to react later when it's too late. Mm -hmm. Barry, what are you – are you – I know we're familiar with it here in the States, but how much of the, I can do whatever I want, who cares about what they say kind of crowd do you have in Australia? Oh, quite a, quite a few, and particularly amongst the hunting community, um, who tend to be a bit more conservative than the rest of the community um, culturally. There, there is a difference in Victoria. I think Victoria, South Australia, New South Wales are probably 
further down the path than places like the Northern Territory and Tasmania, um, just mm-hmm. in different places. Um, back to my earlier comment about Victoria being the Massachusetts of Australia. Um, so I think that plays into it. Um, that forum that, that Sean and the ADA ran, one of the facilitators made a really interesting comment, which was um, that regulation is a lagging indicator for social licence. Um, mm-hmm. It's not that the the politics is pushing the community, it's that the community is pushing the politics and the regulators are responding to community attitudes. Um, and it was, we've very much had the same as you. Um, I don't know if you look at websites and stuff, you'll see very heavily evidence-based submissions and, and a real mantra of facts, data, evidence, facts, data, evidence. It was very confronting to sit in that forum and basically be told that's all wonderful, but that doesn't actually matter when the public is so far gone the other way. Um, you're now in a discussion where you're not going to win it just with facts. So you're the comms director of SSAA in Victoria. So you should be at the spear tip of the social license communication strategy. So what would you do, Barry? Like, what's the first thing you do? What would you suggest people do? Uh, we Well, we all need to. We've been the hunting shooting organisations need to do a far better job of educating first and foremost the hunting public of the realities of the situation we're in and of the positives that can come out of it. Um, Change is always really confronting, but change can also be really positive. If if there's Mm -hmm. a chance to, if we take duck hunting, for example, which has been under threat since I remember doing an assignment on it in school when I was in like grade three. So when I was my son's age, when I was eight, eight or nine years old and the anti-duck hunting stuff in Victoria was firing up there. Um, so it's been under threat for a long, long time. If we can find a way to speak to the regulators, to bring the hunting community along and, and shape a, a future for duck hunting that's a bit more secure, that addresses the social licence concerns not that you're going to stop the animal rights. Right. You're never going to stop these zealots. These are you're speaking that, to the middle. You're speaking to the middle the, 60%, the 70%, the non-hunters, and, and the voting block. They're people who have got concerns who probably don't really know what their concerns are but have got concerns. And if we can address mm-hmm. those and, and find a future for hunting that's sustainable, there's a real opportunity in this social licence stuff for us. It's not all downside. No, no, I totally agree with you. Uh, you had a... I had a conversation with a wombat rescue um, organization in Tasmania. And these guys are the epitome of animal lovers, Barry, Sean. These, this is like the, the people that are the antis. But they're okay with hunting. And I was like, we need to tell your story and we need to show how hunting is working with you. In terms of social license, that is like a, a picture of hunters and hunting that is far removed from the typical perception of what hunters are. The real challenge is, sorry, sure. It gets us into a really difficult space um, where we need to prosecute the social license of hunting without throwing our game species under the bus, without degrading the animals that we hunt and our respect for those animals and our love for them. Um, it, it's, it, it would be very easy and it's tempting for people to say, Yes, deer are terrible pests and they should all be killed. That's why hunting is such a great thing. But that would be to throw 
that game animal under the bus. And, and if you go back to your the evidence should lead the day sort of mm-hmm. mantra, it, it goes, we'd be throwing a lot of good research and a lot of good evidence under the bus if we did that. So it's a, it's a really fine line and a difficult conversation to have. And, you know, as we saw last week with our media shoe, the, the media doesn't favour complex conversation. No. Sean? Well, I was just going to elaborate on uh, how you asked Baz about like where we start with the issue, and one of the things that sort of really emanated through the day was being right is not enough, and that sort of ties back into like your scientific background, where you know the facts and data literally just tell the story, but now we're also having to deal with people's emotional sort of processing of um, situations, and one of the examples that the facilitator gave us was. Um, say you have a married couple and you know the wife might be right on an argument and then the husband's arguing back and forth and the way that the husband or the wife carries themselves will determine how external people view that conflict no matter regardless of who was right you know like you might be right but if you're acting like a potato everyone's just going to see how you've behaved and carried yourself and that's going to influence their understanding of the situation not that oh, below all of that, you were correct, you know, and that's getting beyond that sort of mindset is one of the challenges that, you know, culturally we'll have to change, you know, and reflect oh, and, and see how percent. we can do that. Yeah, so it's, it's, Dude, it's you not an nailing. Yeah. No, you're nailing it. And that's one of like the core pieces of what Blood Origins is. Like this is the thing that I've infused into everyone. Like we do not swear back. No matter what you're called, You don't swear back. Like Barry called me out for being wrong. I could have just sent stuff off, Barry. I'm right. No, it was, you're right. I'm wrong. And let me acknowledge that I'm wrong to everyone. Right? Be gentlemanly in your approach because you never know who's watching. Here's the thing that I say the most is that in the social media circles, when Leonardo DiCaprio drops a wolf post, I'm not trying to convince it's not even him, but whoever's dropping the, 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 the social media post, I'm not trying to convince them to change their mind. Yeah. To your point, Sean, it's the 100,000 people, the million people that watched what I just actually read, what I just wrote and the way that I wrote it and the, the emotion in it or the, the lack of, um, I don't know, vigor from what you would think a hunting person would say. Yeah, you're not fitting the the typecast that people might expect of you. Yeah, and it provides that alternative. And and then it becomes more understanding for others. It's much more palatable. Um, Yeah, that's quite a challenge because we are who we are and we've been brought up and the culture has been like that for so long. And it's not to say that it was wrong or anything, but times change, communities change, and, you know, we need to as well. Um, So that's a journey that we're all on. And I think, you know, we're all going to hear a lot more about it as it progresses. Barry? There's a um, a different organisations in Victoria for a number of years been prosecuting this, um, along with government, this campaign of respect. Um, It's a fantastic campaign. It's a respect, hunt responsibly sort of campaign. So it's about respecting, you know, respecting your quarry, but it's also about respecting the land, respecting other users, and that flows on to respecting people who might have an opinion that differs from your own. Um, people mm-hmm. are allowed to fundamentally disagree with us. 
um, calling them names doesn't help. It doesn't necessarily mean they're bad people. I think they're wrong. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're bad people or even that they're coming from a bad place. A lot of the, the people who vehemently oppose us, not the absolute lunatic fringe who, you know, there's serious concerns about their behaviour, but a lot of the people who vehemently oppose us come from a position where they're caring about things. I think mm-hmm. they've decided, but they're, they're not coming from a bad place. And if you treat them with disrespect, if you yell at them, if you abuse them, I don't think it gets us anywhere. Mm-hmm. And quite often, just yeah. having that open and frank conversation with them can address their concerns or th- th- there'll be times where this will be hard for us to acknowledge, but they may actually raise legitimate concerns that we may actually have to address. Um, well, do you think that we've stuck hunting on a pedestal for so long in which it's infallible that nothing, you know, hunting can't be wrong? Sean? Oh, it's probably a little bit to unpack on that. Before, when you're talking about like hunter behavior to Baz, I think part of it is the human psyche where generally hunting is done in fairly remote places without necessarily observers. Um, and that's helps reinforce that mentality of, you know, that bit of a siege mentality where, oh, you know, I'm not harming anyone. What I do, you know, you can't question it. Um, whereas now, you know, just because you could be five hours away from town, you know, it's all. It can all be recorded, and it could be like you were here yesterday. Like it's. Mm-hmm. So 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 I think breaking down that mindset and uh, you know acknowledging that a change is required. It might not necessarily be change, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to be difficult and the long road. Um, I've actually just forgot the original question. So I went off on that. No, the original question was this. No, you. Is this is that I think. And this is my opinion. And and here's why I say it the way I say it. I feel like hunting has been put on a pedestal that is mm. infallible. Okay. Yeah. And the reason we are the reason why we cringe when someone points the finger and calls someone out is that we realize that we're such a minority that is like, what are we doing to ourselves when we call each other out? However, we have to be strategic, and this is, I think Stephen Rella couched it the best, So we have to be strategic about the people that are shooting holes in the boat that we're trying to row need to be tossed out the boat. Yeah, and I think you're right, and there are certainly issues that for too long as a hunting community we've glossed over. Um, and, and this, yes, we must all be unified at all costs, which... Um, we must all be unified in core messages and ethical and responsible behaviour at all costs, I believe. So you take wounding, for an example, um, and hunters are really reluctant to talk about wounding. Um, and wounding is an issue for all hunting. Not, um, it's Duck hunting is the tip of the spear for it in Victoria, um, but it's an issue for all hunting. And you'll see groups like WSWA Victoria um, Field and Game Australia, and I'm sure as they get to the deer wounding plan, I'd imagine Australian Deer Association will be involved in working groups trying to address wounding, not to stop it, because it's a it's a part of hunting that um, right. we never completely stamp out, but to cons- admit that we can all do better, that we mm-hmm. can all reduce wounding as much as we possibly can. We can all sharpen our skills and understand our, our ranges and our, our quarry better and it's certainly in all of our interests. We, I think I can speak for 
all of us here that animal welfare is a huge consideration. 100%. But it's something as hunters that we've really shied away from discussing because, oh, well, once the public hear us talking about wounding, then, you know, that's a problem. Well, it, it is a problem. We need to get better on wounding. We need to wound far less animals. Um, it is an issue. It's an issue with government control as well. There's a paper came out early this year or late last year reviewing the aerial culling of deer and found that in Queensland they fared far worse than New South Wales and the ACT um, on, aerial, on animal welfare outcomes in aerial culling because they favoured shorter flying times over better animal welfare outcomes. So it's, it's an issue for wreck hunting, but it's an issue for government control as well. And we can't credibly call out the government for their failings if we're not prepared to look at that issue and how it presents for us as well. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a good example we can use for the social licence where what's better for this to be addressed, whereas internally as an industry we've sort of brought this up and been proactive on it, or is it something that you sort of hide and ignore mm -hmm. and then suddenly in five years, you know, bang, it's come up and it's reared its ugly head and you have no control over that conversation. You know, what's 100%. going to drive the best outcome? Yeah, no, totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. So, Barry, um, in terms of the state of Victoria, are there some things that are coming down the pipeline in terms of the horizon uh, that hunters need to be aware of that we can maybe get a little bit ahead of the fake news and misinformation <laughs> that we just dealt with? Yeah, there's, there's three probably really big thing is an election at the end of November in Victoria, so just under six months away. Um, How do we get Andy Medic out? Andy Medic's in on a, um, a very complex preference deal. So <laughs> I'll go back to the, just the mechanics a bit quickly. So yeah. the Victorian states, pretty similar to um, the states in the US, have two houses, uh, the Assembly, which is the House, um, which is a representation, direct electorate representation, and then the Legislative Council, which is like a Senate. And it has um, these large multi-member regions. And Andy's a member in one of these large multi-member regions. And he's part of what's called a preferencing alliance, um, where micro parties all bundle together, mm -hmm. uh, preference each other in different places. And, and rather than get a quota, which is 12% you know, of the vote or something, or 15% of the vote, they're getting in on 3 4% of the vote by doing very clever preference deals. Um, now that favours us. It's, we get people like the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party and yep. like our friend who brought up the meat issue, Tim Cordy and the Liberal Democrats, who are, who are pro-firearm and pro-hunting. Mm -hmm. um, so we get those people in Parliament, but the downside of that system is that we get um, people who oppose us in Parliament as well. So I don't know that there's an easy way of getting any medic out because it's not a matter of just telling our people vote this way and it'll happen. It's, oh, sure, sure. It's a far, there's a, a fellow who's called the preference whisperer in Australia um, <laughs> who's, I don't think Leonard mind me calling him a bit of a savant, who, who does all these mathematical calculations and um, gets all these people elected. So I don't know if we can get him out, but that election's sort of clouding public policy at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. I don't expect there to be anything big for hunting or shooting come up before November because of it. And we've got problems if something shooting does come up before November. 
But after that, we've got the game regulations, which govern deer duck quail hunting in Victoria. They've, they were supposed to be reviewed this year. That's been put off by 12 months. So they will be up in the first half of next year. The Wildlife Act, which is the overarching legislation, is undergoing a major review, sort of first review since 1975, and it's significant and it's probably... The Wildlife Act, remind me, Barry, the Wildlife Act uh, uh, changes had the sentience language in there. Was that the, the changes? Well, that, that's a, that's another bit of legislation, which is the Animal Cruelty, um, Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, which is also being overhauled. And that's mm-hmm. where it looks like sentience will be enshrined and then mm-hmm. um, every other bit of legislation is going to have to deal with the consequences of that. Um, so you've got those three big things that will be coming up, hopefully not this year, but probably next year. Um, look, Sean can probably talk. I know the Deer Association's done doing some research at the moment that's trying to inform uh, the state election stuff. Um, so... Yeah, WSWA supported it, but it was Deer Association who commissioned that research. So that's to try and get um, the, the best possible position at the election. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's ironic. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, social licence before, but now we're going back onto the facts and data. <laughs> so we, we have commissioned a report, uh, also a, a survey of hunters to see how, you know, policy on hunting can drive and influence their decisions to vote at, you know, elections time. Um, obviously, in the run into the Victorian state election, that's going to be quite important for those three below, those issues that Baz just made, you know, the Game Regs Wildlife Act and the Animal Cruelty Legislation. Um, so being better able to inform uh, the policymakers on, you know, the, the effects and changes that they make and what the consequences could be to them, um, really will help drive our, you know, work, log of work up until the, the, the state election in November. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's going to be... And then we'll see where the cookies crumble on the end of November and hopefully it's all lands on the right side for us because uh, we're all at the mercy of the voter at the end of the day. So maybe what we need to do is we need to gather these, you, know, you two together again once the the... the the vote has happened, the elections happened after November, and then we can sort of do a prediction on like, all right, we're in December now. What's happening next? Wildlife Act, game regulations, animal welfare legislation. Like what's the next hot topic? Obviously, you just mentioned all three of them, Barry. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and the shape of that that upper house, that legislative council where Andy Manick and those people sit will be critical regardless of which of the two major parties end up forming government in the lower house, the shape of that upper house is going to be very critical to those three things. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Well, Barry, Sean, uh, any final words, Sean? Oh, no, let uh, me ask this. I, this is one last question. I'll just throw it out there. One last question. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off. It happens here. It happens all over the world. But I don't know, for some reason, the Australian uh, hunting community seems to be very impassionate uh, bunch of individuals that believe that the, the individuals that fight for them every single day, ADA, SSAA, SSAA, I'm going to get it right, Barry, I promise, SSAA, that you're somehow on the take. <laughs> well, you can see by the background, you know, like all the, the Picasso is behind me. <laughs> 
that's where it all goes. <laughs> uh, look, um, I, I suppose it's probably exacerbated by social media where, you know, people can make mm-hmm. flippant comments and there's no consequences to making it. So they, they sort of just do. Um, both ADA and WSWA Vic, we're extremely transparent in all our publishing of our accounts. Um, we do obviously get grants from governments. Um, some years we get nothing. Um, like it was only two years ago that we got nothing from the Victorian state government, um, but it didn't change or influence anything that we do. We are principled. We are driven. Um, a recent example is, so for example, we got money to do a, uh, a grant to, um, uh, what's it called? Um, the Eastern Shooting Complex, to so to do a report on a feasibility study on it. Um, it was only for 65000 Yeah, We ended up spending nearly 90000 on it. So we went above and beyond what the actual grant was because it's we're pursuing a project that we believe in. And that quite often mm-hmm. happens with other um, projects that we might undertake. We always overspend um, because we're committed to that project. Um, and that's what these fundings, funding does. The government obviously acknowledges that that's a project that they'd like to see get up. And they'll help contribute to it, and then we'll go above and beyond, deliver it to the best of our ability. Yep. Um, yep. But yeah, it doesn't. It's, I mean, you, you... when when I see those comments, it's invariably in the context of an argument about something that's completely unrelated, and it seems to be coming from someone who's who's run out of arguments about the topic that's completely unrelated. Um, so he says, "Yeah, well, of course you would say that. You're all on the take." Um, Our last financial year that we reported on, we received $2,853 in grant funding, and that's off an income of $6.3 million. So, yeah, at least 0.05% of our operating income, the notion that that's driving policy is frankly absurd. Um, And the notion that we wouldn't get grants, so these are things that fund really good projects. Um, really good initiatives right. that benefit shooting. I think we'd actually be negligent not to go and get money that's on offer from, from the community. The people who oppose us get grants and put it to good work. Mm-hmm. What they think is good work in projects that oppose us, the notion that we wouldn't then go and get grants and put it to good work to further hunting and further shooting, I actually think the organisations that, that don't do it are being a bit negligent. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I turn it right back around on people. I just I don't see it's an issue. I, I had a quick look in you know, in the United States, um, you know, Ducks Unlimited, National Deer Association, the NRA, get government grants. The notion that those organisations are somehow um, just hatsies or just little front people for the government and puppets is it's pretty absurd. Mm-hmm. I think you nailed it, Barry, when you said that it's often the last straw when someone's logic has failed someone's facts are wasted and have been proven wrong and it's the last line of defense and at the end of the day we have to remember that public policy is a is an art of politics and people have to remember that the art of politics involves compromise yeah and we both there's two major parties similar to um, far more discipline than what you've got in the States. People don't tend to cross the floor um, or vote. They, they vote very heavily along party lines, but 
all of our organisations work pretty closely with both of the major parties, trying to get good policy out of everyone. You'd be pretty, you'd be pretty silly to throw your lot in with one side mm-hmm. or the other. Charge. Exactly. Exactly. And that's well, you both have been absolute yeah. legends. Yeah, it is uh, a strength. You're right, yeah, Sean. It being is apolitical is it's much easier too. You don't have to remember as much. Well, look, you both have been absolute legends. I appreciate you guys getting on so quickly. Um, I appreciate we'll give Paul Gray a big shout out for connecting us uh, together. He's going to be pretty um, stoked about that. Yeah, and we'll, look. I'll owe him another six-pack of craft gear now. There we go. Good, good. Get him, get him a dozen, Barry. Come on. Not just six. Get him a dozen. Let's see what's on um, <laughs> And I'll say this publicly, and then I'll say it privately after we get off this. You know, Blood Origins was built for AA and for ADA. We're here to help you. That's all we want to do. And uh, if there's anything I can do that we can do to help you, to do something for you, that's what we were built for. So please, you've got my contact information now. Feel free to use it. Uh, thanks a lot, Rob. We really appreciate the opportunity to come and chat about this stuff. And likewise, Rob, we appreciate using your platform for, for good. You know, it's, uh, no worries. It's, it's refreshing. Yes, sir. See you, boys. See you later. Thanks. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.